Well, let me add my welcome this morning. My name is Paul Reese, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Shard Chapel, and it's great to have you all here uh, with us. If this is uh, your first time here, let me tell you a bit about this church. Shard Chapel is a great commission church. That's what we're about. Uh, Christopher Anderson, the founding pastor, uh, the, the church planting pastor, started this church in 1808. And his great goal, really, was to gather to the Lord those who were not currently gathered. Uh, he wrote this, that the one idea in my own mind was the conversion of sinners. That's why he began Charlotte Chapel. And a particular concern for him, I, I went back uh, this week to have a look at Ian Balfour's book, Revival in Row Street. Uh, if you'd like a copy, I'm sure we can get one to you. Um, but in, in that, uh, Ian points out that one of Anderson's concerns as he started the church was that many of the poor people were put off coming to church because they were, uh, at that time, <clears throat> people kind of got really dressed up for church and the poor didn't have their Sunday best to come in and it was putting them off. And so one of the great concerns was to start a church that was not too stiff and formal so that uh, the poor could come along and feel welcomed to come. That was one of his great concerns. Um, it's the same passion that we have today. Uh, we have been commissioned by the risen Lord Jesus Christ who said, go and make disciples of all nations. That's why we're here. We're a great commission church. That's how Chris Vanderson started it. And by God's grace, that's what we really are about today. And so having said that, let me ask you this question. How are we doing in this great commission right now? How did you get on in this past week? Uh, I addressed that to my Christian friends here today. If you're not a Christian, we're just glad you're here. But my Christian friends, how, how did it go this week as we are engaged in this great commission of the Lord Jesus? A few weeks ago in our fellowship groups, we considered how actually um, we're not very good at inviting people to anything, let alone inviting them to church. And so there was the, the suggestion made, well, why don't you kind of get some tickets for something fun you're going to and invite some friends just to come along to that? Now, I wonder, have we done anything about that? Have we, have we made any progress on that? Have we uh, attempted that? I remember back in March, we had um, Richard Borgen on with us. And uh, Richard was sharing his excitement at reading John's Gospel with non-Christians and how he's doing that in the city of London. And he's put together that resource, the Word One-to-One. -one. Remember we had that? I think about 110 packs went out. Uh, have we asked anybody to read the Bible with us? I know some have tried and uh, been knocked back. Others have had uh, people say, yes, I, I'd like to do that. And, they, and they've been having a great time reading the Bible with them. And my question is, have you done anything about that since March? The Lord Jesus Christ has called us to go and make disciples of all nations. And that's the question. How do we get on with it this week? I wonder if the answer really is uh, uh, no. No, I, I haven't asked anybody. Uh, I haven't bought any extra tickets, and I've not invited anyone to do anything with me. I, 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 want, I want to ask this question. Why is that? 
Why is that? Why, why is it that if the answer is no, that you haven't done anything about it since March? Is it because it doesn't, we don't think it really matters? Is that the reason? Um, or is it that we are afraid? Um, and what is it that we're afraid of? Are we afraid that people will think we're odd? Or people will laugh at us? Or are we frightened that we'll be harmed in some way if we begin to engage in the Great Commission? If, if we are feeling that fear is one of the reasons that holds us back, I wonder what Jesus would have to say to us. Well, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, page 975. Because that's exactly the topic that Jesus addresses to his disciples as he sends them out on a short-term training mission that would actually prepare them for the, the great commission that would happen after his death and resurrection. This happened before the cross. And this is a, a sort of a training, short-term mission to Israel that really has many elements in it that, that are preparing them for the great commission that has come to the church after the resurrection. Uh, let me just remind you why we're even talking about this. Look at, look at uh, page 974 in your church Bibles and, and, and Matthew chapter 9. And verse 36, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's the compassion of Christ for those who are um, lost, not under uh, any shepherding care that he calls his disciples, first of all, to pray, wasn't it? Verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the great compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, calls his disciples, would you pray with me for these vast crowds who, who are lost? Would you pray that the Lord would send out more workers into his harvest field? That's how it began, didn't it? And then we saw not, soon, not, not much longer after their prayer time, their heads go up, and then Jesus has another surprise for them. Guess what? You're the workers who are going to go. Chapter 10. He calls the 12 disciples to him. And uh, if you look at verse 7, he sends them out. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Their message was to say, look, very soon, the kingdom of heaven is going to break in. The Son of Man is going to be revealed as the glorious king in his death and his resurrection and ascension to God's right hand. And so let's get busy. Let's spread the news to prepare people. Now, we're on the other side of that. And the kingdom of God, uh, Jesus has achieved it and won it in his life and death and resurrection. He is seated at God's right hand and his kingdom has been growing throughout the world. We're on the other side of this. And we go and preach the good news of the risen Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins, who has paid the price so that we can be forgiven, welcomed into his everlasting kingdom as we repent and, and trust him and brought into relationship with God. And he sends them out, go and preach this message. Now we considered last week what sort of expectations should they have on the reception to this message. Well, look at verse 16. It was quite sobering, wasn't it? I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And we spent some time thinking about that last week. Sheep among wolves. Sobering. They could expect negative reactions 
from those that they went out to speak the good news of the kingdom. From the established religious leaders who would flog them in the synagogues and then hand them over to the secular uh, authorities, the civic leaders. And the opposition might even come from their own family members who might even betray them to death. Uh, Very scary stuff. Now, much more than, than any of us have experienced in this country for the last 300 years. But sadly, it is still the experience of, of some Christians throughout the world today. It is scary when you, you hear this sober uh, talk from Jesus about what you should expect. But Jesus has got a few more things that he wants to say to us. So let's read from verse 24 to the end of the chapter. That's on page 975 of the Church Bibles. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, I will receive receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. This is God's word. Now please keep your Bibles open. We're going to examine uh, these uh, verses together. And uh, I've got really two main points uh, this morning, so you know where I'm heading. Firstly, don't be afraid. Secondly, don't be surprised. 
I think that's what this passage is saying. Don't be afraid. Don't be surprised. Did you notice the first um, and the first nine verses, the repetition of that phrase, don't be afraid? It was there in verse 26. So don't be afraid of them. It was in verse 28. Do not be afraid. And verse 31, so don't be afraid. And, you know, Jesus is saying this, that the greatest challenge that holds us back from the Great Commission is what? It's our fear. That's what holds us back. It's our fears. And so Jesus actually wants to put courage into his disciples as they head out on this short-term mission. And I believe he wants to put courage into us this morning. He wants to encourage us. That's what, that's what putting courage means into people. Encourage. And um, he gives us a number of fear-quenching reasons here. Do you want to be courageous? Well, I don't really know. Do you want to be courageous? I do. So it's been a good morning to come to church. So firstly, don't be afraid of slander, he says. In verses 24 to 27, don't be afraid of slander. I wonder what is it that stops us from speaking here in Scotland? What stops us from opening our mouths to talking about Jesus? My guess is that we are frightened about what non-Christian work colleagues, neighbors, or family will say about us. That's what holds us back. We're fine about what people will say. We want to fit in. We want to be accepted. We, we want to be seen as normal, not weird. Uh, we want people to say nice things about us. We, we would hate it if people started saying nasty things about us. We would hate it if people started saying things that were untrue about us and spreading lies about us. We would hate that if they started questioning our character or integrity. We would hate that. We don't want to be slandered. Be the, the talk in the office that when you go to the crowd, they stop talking and go, shh, shh, shh. Oh, they're talking about me. We would hate that. I don't know whether you've ever been slandered. Um, if you have, then you know it's something that can absolutely eat you up. Um, it cons- consumes all your thoughts of joy because you fear that people are actually going to believe what is being said, those horrible lies that are being said about you. And uh, the darker the slander, the greater the worry. But no, Jesus wants to say this to us. Don't be afraid of slander. If we were to write a little list now, and I was to ask you, um, what are sort of the characteristics that you think uh, make you look like Jesus? If you had to write a list of attributes and, 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 and uh, things that say, well, this is what it means to be Christ-like, I wonder if you put on your list this, you will be slandered. Because that's what Jesus teaches here. To be Christ-like is to be slandered. Do you see that? Uh, look at verse 24. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master, it is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, 
kind of Lord of the Flies, the sort of a name for the devil. How much more the members of his household? The religious leaders saw the amazing things that Jesus did, and they heard the incredible things he said, and what they said of him? He's the devil incarnate. He's pure evil, they said. He's Beelzebub. Well, if that's what they said about Jesus, then do you think they're going to pay any greater respect to those that follow Jesus? That's all Jesus is saying. If, if, if they say that about me, the head of the household of God, then what are they going to say about you? Do we expect something better than that? And if you, like me, at times have received cards or letters denouncing you as a liar and alleging that you're evil just because you've engaged in the work of God, then I want to encourage you today. That's what they said about Jesus. We're being just like Jesus if we face slander. And so don't be afraid of them, Jesus says. For one day the truth will come out. Look at verse 26. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Uh, There is a time period where those who present themselves as the good guys, the righteous ones, who are really deep down plotting evil and spreading lies, do you know there's a day coming when they will be exposed? And the lies that they're spreading about you will be uh, revealed to be utter nonsense, and your innocence will be revealed, and you'll be vindicated, Jesus says. So don't be afraid of slander. But instead, keep on speaking the truth about Jesus. Don't be fearful at what people are going to say about you, but just keep being public about the gospel and preach the Lord Jesus. That's what it says in verse 27. As Jesus says, And what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. It's worth knowing that there were flat roofs in Israel. I don't want any of you going on to your out of your dormer windows tonight, trying to climb on the rooftops. Very, very dangerous, very foolish, don't do that. But for in, the, in, in, in Israel, there were flat roofs, great place for public meetings. You could get a crowd and speak to them from your rooftop. So don't be afraid of slander. Secondly, he says, don't be afraid of violence. Now, I don't know whether you've ever been threatened with violence. It's happened on two occasions in my life. Not because I was a Christian, but because I was in Glasgow. (laughs) True story. It hasn't happened in Edinburgh yet. It really hasn't. It happened in Glasgow twice because I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And people indicated they wanted to do violence to my face. Uh, But I I wouldn't let them. (laughs) But you know, have 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 you ever been threatened? It's sickening. Just the threat of violence is sickening. It's probably worse than being hit. Your stomach crunching up. Just the threat of violence is menacing enough to to control most people in the world today. In fact, that's what's going on with these videos of of journalists, isn't it, with the Islamic State. They just want to put fear into people's heads to control through their violence. Yet, how was it that when the apostles were flogged or imprisoned, for speaking of Jesus, that they, no sooner they got out, that they continued speaking about Jesus. How did they manage that? Well, because they'd listened to what Jesus said. 
they take courage from what Jesus has to say here. And there's two uh, more fear-quenching reasons uh, here. First thing he says is, well, what's the worst they can do? Well, the worst they can do they, is kill your body. They cannot kill your soul. Take courage from this. They cannot kill your soul. Verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Someone could chop off your head as a Christian, but they cannot take away your soul from the grip of Christ. They can't do it. Uh, Christians have experienced violence, physical assault, sexual assault. But as Christians who have entrusted our precious souls into God's almighty hands, we can know that whatever damage or physical harm is done to our body, it cannot harm our soul, which is in his safekeeping. God who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead is certainly able and will certainly raise our mortal bodies from death into immortal life. And the moment for death, the moment of death for a Christian, as Jesus said to the thief on the cross, is the very moment when we'll be with him in paradise. Do you see that the way to overcome fear of men is actually to have a proper fear of God? As he goes on, Verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, Jesus, who uh, clearly displayed love and compassion for the crowds of humanity, he was not someone who um, wanted to give false fears and anxiety. He is the one who wanted to put before us um, the reality of hell. Hell is the destination for all those who refuse to repent of their sins and receive the forgiveness that Christ offers. That is why Jesus came into the world, that he might taste death for rebel sinners, that he might experience hell in their place. That's why he came. And he speaks out of his love and his concern to say, hell is real. And actually, if we, if we meditate on this verse, it actually says that there's a physical as well as a spiritual separation, a physical and spiritual experience of hell because he throws both body and soul into hell. And Jesus came that we would not experience that if we would just turn to him in repentance and faith. But he says to his disciples, he sends on a mission, don't worry about the ones who can just take your body. That's all they can do. And no sooner has he spoken of the reality of hell, he is quickly to, quick to reassure them of their loving father. Um, you know, he says, look, they can only kill your body. He says, he reminds them, you are precious in verses 29 to 31. You are precious to your heavenly Father who cares about the smallest details. I don't know whether you have a bird feeder in your garden, do you? Uh, it's starting to get frosty, apparently, so you might want to get the bird feeders out and fill them up. Uh, we have our bird feeder, and it's great. Uh, I love seeing the little birds that live in the hedgerows popping out there, getting fed to the winter. It's a fantastic thing. Well, our mighty Creator cares for the smallest birds, the most insignificant birds, the cheapest meal you could have 
uh, in Israel was not a McDonald's meal in those days. It was to eat sparrows. Two sold for a penny in the markets. And yet the Lord says something as common as that. Not one of them falls to the ground apart from the will of our Heavenly Father. And this almighty God, he has an intimate and a personal and an exhaustive knowledge of each one of his loved children. Have you ever taken the time to count the hairs on your head? I've not done it. I've not done it. Uh, I've never done it, but the Lord's done it. The Lord keeps a running total of the number of hairs on our head. And he knows about my receding hairline. I'm sure the number's going down. So God who cares about your hair follicles and sparrows certainly cares for our physical and spiritual needs. We are so precious to our loving Heavenly Father. So verse 31 he says, don't be afraid. So there were three fear-quenching, courage-emboldening truths there, weren't there? Don't be slandered. It's, it's, you're being just like Jesus. People cannot kill your soul. And you are precious to your Heavenly Father who just cares about the smallest details. Well, these are truths that are here to help us have courage to keep acknowledging Jesus before other people, to keep speaking about Jesus. Verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And so a fundamental question we need to ask ourselves is this. Whose approval and recognition are we actually looking for? Are we looking for the approval and recognition of Jesus or of the unbelieving world? If slander for being a Christian is hurting us before men, then Jesus has some wonderful things to say to us. Uh, It does not affect your standing before God. In fact, I speak before the Father and recognize you. But to disown Jesus, to disown God's Son in order to win the approval of people means, well, we can't have the approval of God. We won't know the approval of Christ. So don't be afraid of slander and don't be afraid of violence, Jesus says. And secondly, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, verse 34 to 42. Don't be surprised. And there's two points here. Don't be surprised by conflict. Now, we had the referendum this week, didn't we? Simple choice, yes or no, to independence. And because it was one or the other, it was a matter that brought almost 50-50 division within our nation. There are decisions like that. Well, there's a far greater choice that's been pressing on every nation for the past 2,000 years and every person in the last 2,000 years. And it's this. Will we acknowledge and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Yes or no? Will we receive him as our Lord and Savior? We should be in no doubt that receiving Jesus Christ is the way to peace with God. But Jesus is very honest with us to say that having accepted him and receiving peace with God, that decision might well bring about division and conflict in our relationships with others, with those who don't agree with that decision. And I think that's what Jesus is saying in verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Now we need to remember this is the Lord who said early in the Sermon on the Mount, um, turn the other cheek if someone strikes you. Love your enemies. Who when Peter starts pulling out a sword and trying to do flashy maneuvers, he says, put away your swords. Uh, no, this, this comment about the sword is not, uh, oh, the secret, uh, secret side of, of, of violence in Christianity. Not at all. When Jesus says he came not to bring peace but a sword, it was to make this exact point that his coming brings division and conflict. His coming forces a crisis of decision. Are you going to receive Christ or reject Christ? And for those who receive Christ, it is, receive Christ is a wonderful thing. It means peace with God. It means forgiveness of sins. It's being incorporated into his kingdom, into the family of God. But then there are those who reject Christ. And, and, and that brings tension for those who reject Christ can be opposed to those who've received Christ. It can cause hostility in families. It can cause hostility in marriages. And it's such a sobering thought. Why would people choose to follow Christ if that's the possibility? And it's simply, the answer is this, because to have the Lord Jesus Christ and conflict is better to have peace without Christ. Now, I've seen a number of times in my life um, couples choosing to get married even though non-Christian parents do not approve of the Christian partner that their daughter or their son is marrying. And even though the engaged couple have tried their hardest to honor their family, they've made the decision that to be married to this person is actually more precious even than maintaining the relationship of unreasonable requests of parents. Their loyalty to that person that they marry is more important than their loyalty to their parents. And it is that sort of loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ that he calls all of his disciples to have. Look at verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The Lord Jesus Christ, he calls us to love and honor our father and our mother, but not to love them more than him. He calls on us to, to, um, to love and care for our children, our sons and our daughters, but not to love them more than him. He has a higher right to loyalty and to obedience. And Jesus taught that he should be preeminent above parents, above children, and even above our own selves. Verse 38. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The person taking up the cross is a bit like the person carrying the sword and handing it to the man who's going to execute him. It is a it is a journey that's a one-way journey. It's a journey that means you've got no more personal plans made. Uh, you've got no more personal priorities. It is a demanding loyalty that Jesus expects from his disciples. And let's stop for a moment and think, well, who would say such a thing? What political candidate would turn up at your door and say, unless you love me more than your wife and your kids? You're not worthy of my political party. Well, a mere man, you just think, lunatic, madman. 
But if this is God's come in human flesh, if this is the Messiah King long promised, then he does have the right to make that claim, does he not? So don't be surprised by conflict, Jesus says. But also don't be surprised as we close by the rewards in verses 39 to 42. Verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Don't be surprised by the reward, he says. Yet to have Christ might mean uh, apparent sacrifice um, in some of the decisions of my life, but both for this life and the life to come. When we choose to follow Christ, we find not only Christ, but true and eternal life itself. We only gain. And even if we are those who, who do not personally experience that much suffering or opposition there is encouragement here for us if you're thinking oh i'm a bit substandard because i've not suffered like this well notice what jesus says here even as we reach out to care for those brothers and sisters who've experienced suffering who've experienced opposition the lord notices that and there is great reward in that verse 42 if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple i tell you the truth he will certainly not lose his rewards don't be afraid this morning you know the Lord's called us for your Christian here he's called us to engage on the great commission and he says to us don't be afraid don't be afraid of slander don't be afraid of violence and don't be surprised don't be surprised that there's conflict and don't be surprised that there is great rewards even the least thing done for the good of his children is noted and rewarded by the Father in heaven. I wonder this morning, what would you be willing to die for? What would you be willing to die for? Do you know what? If we're not, if we're not willing to die for anything, then we've actually got nothing to live for. The Lord's not put us in Pakistan or Syria or northern Nigeria where the cost of following Christ is, is very clear. He's put us in peaceful, respectful Scotland. He's put us in a place where people very strongly and vehemently express their reasons for yes and no. And no one was killed. No one was hurt. People have not been shamed, have they? to say their point politics has been on everybody's lips and if we're Christians here today can I just say as significant as politics is significant as the future of Scotland and the UK is what we've got to talk about is so much more significant we're talking about nothing lesser than eternal life heaven, hell salvation Relationship with God, forgiveness. What great themes we've got to talk about. And the Lord is sending us into the city of Edinburgh to make disciples. So why don't you think about getting some extra tickets and inviting people to something fun that you do? Why don't you think about inviting someone to read the Gospel of John with you and use the word one-to-one? Do you know there are work colleagues, non-Christian family, friends, and, and neighbors that... Wouldn't it be great if over the next six months the Lord used us to so love them and share Christ with them 
that we'd see them gathered here in six months' time. Wouldn't that be great? It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's pray.